The Braille Forum, Volume 50, October-November 2011, Number 3, published by the American Council of the Blind, read by Mark Delgado in the studios of the Cutting Corporation, Bethesda, Maryland. The American Council of the Blind strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and to improve quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. Mitch Pomerantz. President, Melanie Brunson, Executive Director, Sharon Lovering, Editor, National Office, 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia, 22201, 202-467-5081, Fax, 703-465-5085, Website, http colon slash slash www.acb.org The Braille Forum, trademark, is available in Braille, large print, half-speed four-track cassette tape, data CD, and via email. Subscription requests, address changes, and items intended for publication should be sent to Sharon Lovering at the address above, or via email to S-L-O-V-E-R-I-N-G at A-C-B dot org. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the national office at the number listed above. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention Treasurer, A-C-B, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB via the combined federal campaign, use this number. 11155. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection toll-free at 800-424-8666, 5 p.m. to midnight Eastern Time, or read it online. Copyright 2011, American Council of the Blind. Table of Contents FCC publishes new rules requiring video description on TV. By Melanie Brunson. Side 1. Mid-year meeting dates announced. Side 1. National Conference Convention Report, Part 2. By Mitch Pomerantz. Side 1. Hollis Liggett, The Man, The Legend. By Charles S. P. Hodge. Side 1. ACB in the Silver State. Golden Past, Diamond Future, by Sharon Lovering, Judy Jackson, Janine Stanley, Paul Edwards, Marcia Dresser, and Ken Stewart. Side 1. Listening in from my computer. I wish I could have been there. By Zerlene Johnson. Side 2. Mega No Maki Self-Defense Training, by Sharon Lovering. Side 2. Racing to Louisville, by Janet Dickelman. Side 2. DKM Poised for 2012. Side 2. NELDS. Creating a Better Future for Those with Vision Loss.
by Jeff Tom and Chris Gray. Side 2. RSVA Award Winners. Side 3. Affiliate News. Side 3. Opening the Gateway for Future Leaders by Sarah Conrad. Side 3. Upcoming Membership Focus Calls. Side 3. Here and There. Edited by Sue Lichtenfels. Side 3. High Tech Swap Shop. Side 3. Forum Subscription Notes. You can now get the Braille Forum by podcast. To subscribe, go to the Braille Forum page on www.acb.org. If you do not yet have a podcast client, you can download one from the Forum page. To subscribe to the Braille Forum via email, go to www.acb.org slash mailman slash list info slash brailleforum hyphen L. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666, or via email, s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org. Give her the information, and she'll take care of the changes for you. Correction. The email address listed for Bob Hache, the ACB chat list is back, September 2011, was incorrect. His correct address is bhachey at verizon.net. FCC publishes new rules requiring video description on TV. By Melanie Brunson. ACB members have worked tirelessly for several years to ensure that video description will again be provided for television programs. Due to a new rule just published by the Federal Communications Commission, our work will finally start bearing fruit in 2012. We are less than a year away from having meaningful access to some of our favorite TV programming. Below is a good summary of the critical components of the rule. Thanks to WGBH for contributing significantly to the development of this summary. Basic Summary Technical and other details available in the full report and order at FCC.gov. Under the rule, commercial network affiliates of ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC in top 25 markets must provide 50 hours of described primetime or children's programming per quarter, starting with the quarter beginning July 1, 2012. The requirement expands to top 60 markets in July 2015. Cable networks are subject to the same rules. Top 5. USA, The Disney Channel, TNT, Nickelodeon, and TBS. Via their carriers. Cable and satellite systems that serve 50,000 or more subscribers. Officially, Multi-Channel Video Programming Distributors, MVPDs, which includes Verizon's Fios TV and AT&T's Uverse. Determination of top five based on Nielsen ratings will be updated at three-year intervals. All broadcast stations associated with any television network must pass through video description when the network provides it, if the broadcast station has the necessary technical capability. All MVPDs of any size must pass through video description of any broadcast station or non-broadcast network. 
described programs can be counted twice toward the 50-hour requirement. That is, one original airing and one repeat. The second airing can be in the next quarter from the original airing. Exemptions can be petitioned for and granted by FCC upon a finding that the requirements would be economically burdensome, imposing significant difficulty or expense, based on costs, resources, operations of the provider. Public notice of the petition and comment period are required. A program is considered exempt until an FCC decision is issued. Complaint procedures are detailed in the report and order. No private right of action is allowed. Consumers cannot sue responsible parties for compliance. Penalties for violation of rules can be assessed by the FCC, including additional description requirements. If you have questions about any of this, contact Eric Bridges, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, at 202-467-5081 or via email ebridges at acb.org. Mid-Year Meeting Dates Announced With the fall affiliate convention season just around the corner, and perhaps already underway in some cases, I thought I would remind you that it is not too early to begin planning to attend the mid-year meetings in February. If you make your plans now, you will have one less thing to take care of when holiday activities begin later in the year. Once again, we are planning to have a weekend full of programs that you won't want to miss. We will be meeting at the Holiday Inn National Airport in Arlington, Virginia, again in 2012. Here are the dates. The ACB board meeting will be held on Friday, February 24th. The affiliate president's meeting will be on Saturday, February 25th, and Sunday, February 26th. The legislative seminar will begin in the afternoon of February 26th, continue through Monday, February 27th, and conclude on Tuesday, February 28th, with visits to congressional offices by participants. Room rates at the hotel are $119 per night plus tax, and reservations can be made by either calling 1-800-HOLIDAY, 1-800-465-4329, or online at www.icholsgroup.com slash r-e-d-i-r-e-c-t question mark p-a-t-h equal sign r-a-t-e-s ampersand b-r-a-n-d c-o-d-e equal sign h-i ampersand GPC equal sign ACB ampersand HOTELCODE equal sign WASDC ampersand underscore PMID equal sign 9980150. Be sure to note the group code ACB when you make your reservation. This rate is available beginning on February 23rd and will apply through the 29th. Registration for these events will open shortly, but in the meantime, feel free to reserve your rooms at the Holiday Inn National Airport and mark your calendars so you won't miss the 2012 ACB mid-year programs. National Conference Convention Report, Part 2, by Mitch Pomerantz. 
Here is the second installment of my report to the ACB membership on Sunday evening of our 50th annual National Conference and Convention in July. As you will see, we do not rest on past accomplishments, but continue to champion full equality and greater access for all blind and visually impaired people. As you have heard me say, no doubt ad nauseum, ACB is a grassroots organization where you, the membership, determine the advocacy road we travel. As the result of several resolutions passed at the 2010 convention, Eric and Pratik have met with officials from Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and Sprint. They have gone to company headquarters and established solid working relationships with all of them. These tech giants are beginning to consult with ACB to make their products and services fully accessible to persons who are blind or visually impaired. In fact, Google will be here later this week conducting focus groups on our use of technology. These valuable relationships are in the formative stages of development and are the direct result of the resolutions passed last year by you, the members of ACB. But we will not rest upon our legislative laurels. During 2011 and beyond, ACB is embarking on three new legislative initiatives which will be every bit as challenging as our previous efforts. The first initiative involves passage of H.R. 860, which was introduced in March by John B. Larson of Connecticut. This bipartisan legislation would amend the Internal Revenue Code of 1986 to promote charitable donations of qualified vehicles. Since enactment of more restrictive regulations six years ago, cash contributions to ACB and the more than 20 affiliates participating in the vehicle donation program have plummeted significantly. Hence, passage of H.R. 860 is vital. Currently, H.R. 860 has well in excess of 80 co sponsors, so the word is definitely getting out about how important this legislation is to us. The second initiative concerns access to prescription drug labeling. If you need proof of the importance of this issue, let me relate something which I learned a little over a week ago. A longtime member of the California Council of the Blind fell in his shower, breaking ribs and puncturing a lung. The cause of his fall? Apparently, that morning he'd mixed up his prescriptions and took one of them twice. Yes, he'll be okay, but is there any doubt why we must have prescription labels in accessible formats? The effort is gaining serious congressional attention, and there is a strong chance that a bill with bipartisan support will be introduced this summer. We must see legislation passed making it mandatory for pharmacies to provide accessible prescription drug labeling. While Laney Feingold and Linda Dardarian are making strides in this area through structured negotiations, as you will hear shortly, ACB believes that federal legislation is absolutely necessary to address this issue once and for all. ACB's third initiative relates to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, and its exclusion of coverage for low vision aids as durable medical equipment, DME. Currently, CMS regulations state that all devices, irrespective of their size, form, or technological features, that use one or more lenses to aid vision or provide magnification of images for impaired vision, are excluded from Medicare coverage based on the statutory eyeglass exclusion. In plain English, this means that while CMS will pay for devices to aid persons with physical disabilities, it will not pay for devices such as handheld magnifiers. Video monitors, and other equipment which use lenses to allow blind and visually impaired people to remain independent. Interestingly, CMS will not pay for white canes either. 
If someone here has a cane with a lens, please let me see it. I'm dying of curiosity. ACB is committed to amending this so-called lens exclusion. We are developing a coalition of agencies, vendors, and organizations to join with ACB, similar to the coalition effort which resulted in getting our telecommunications bill passed. We know that this effort will take time, but we will be around for as long as it takes to achieve victory. Let me turn to one of the most successful and long-standing ACB activities. 2011 marks the 16th year of our partnership with Laney Feingold and Linda Dardarian to promote access for blind and visually impaired persons through the process of structured negotiations. Unfortunately, neither Laney nor Linda were able to be here this week, but they both send wishes for a successful and fun conference and convention and congratulate ACB on 50 years of advancing the rights of people with visual impairments across the United States and the globe. They look forward to many more years of collaboration, friendship, and landmark advancements in making information and technology accessible. Here is their summary of relevant activities since our 2010 convention. ACB has signed a historic agreement with the American Cancer Society, which will provide information in Braille, large print, audio CD, MP3 format, and accessible PDF. The ACS website will also be updated to comply with accessibility standards. Last August, 2010, a lawsuit was filed on behalf of CCB and three California plaintiffs against JetBlue Airways for its inaccessible website and kiosks which cannot be used by people who are blind and visually impaired. JetBlue refused to participate in structured negotiations and is currently asking the court to dismiss the case. A hearing in federal court is scheduled for July 22nd in San Francisco. Note, in early August, the judge granted JetBlue's request to dismiss the case. You'll read the concluding portion of my report in the December issue. Hollis Liggett, The Man, The Legend By Charles S. P. Hodge Hollis Liggett was born into a dirt-poor family in rural Tennessee on July 20, 1923. He became totally blind at a very young age. His rural roots are reflected throughout his writings. He was lucky enough to obtain a scholarship, and he attended Lambeth College, graduating in 1949. During his stay at Lambeth, he met his future wife, Margaret, who was one year behind him. Again with scholarship help, Hollis attended Duke University, graduating with a master's degree of divinity in 1950. He became ordained as a Methodist minister and married Margaret during the summer of 1950. Hollis began to preach before small rural congregations, and despite his self-effacing manner, his preaching style from the pulpit was charismatic, moving, and highly effective. He and his new wife settled in Memphis, where they both became active in the Memphis Association of the Blind, which at that time was the local chapter of the Tennessee Federation of the Blind. Hollis went door-to-door -door selling blind-made corn-tassel brooms in order to make a living. But as the Liggett family began to grow, it became clear that a more lucrative form of work had to be found. Good fortune once again found the Liggetts, as Hollis qualified and was awarded a vending location at the Memphis City Hall. Hollis and Margaret took to the vending operation like ducks to water, but they did chafe under some constraints and restrictions imposed upon them by the state-run business enterprise program. So, Hollis exercised an option available to him, and he purchased from the state his vending machines and his inventory, 
thus converting his city hall vending location into an independent business operation. The city hall vending location enabled Hollis to meet and become friends with many of the movers and shakers in Memphis business, politics, and civic affairs. These contacts and friendships would become useful and important as years went by. Meanwhile, the Liggett family had grown to a brood of five offspring, four daughters and one son. Parenting and family obligations were commanding more of Hollis' attention and time. Yet in the aftermath of what had taken place at the NFB's 1958 National Convention at Boston, critics of the national leadership were informed in no uncertain terms that their submissions to the Braille Monitor would never be published in the magazine. In response, a number of the dissenters from the NFB leadership's party-line policy formed the Braille Free Press Association, BFPA, with the stated intention of publishing a magazine which would be open to all points of view from throughout the blindness community. Durward McDaniel had heard of this blind minister and successful vending operator from Memphis, and he had a hunch that Liggett would be the right person to be the editor of the Braille Free Press. So, McDaniel came to Memphis and stayed as a house guest in the Liggett's home. The two men talked late into the night, and McDaniel presented Liggett with irrefutable proof that only submissions which were favorable to the NFB's national leadership would be published in the Braille Monitor. Instinctively, from his rural roots and upbringing, and from his biblical studies, Liggett knew right from wrong, and the NFB's one-sided and exclusionary policies were antithetical to his principles of fair play and of a free and balanced press. The next evening, McDaniel made a presentation before the Memphis Association of the Blind, MAB, about the BFPA, its goals and objectives, and its vital and urgent need for seed money donations in order to get the project off the ground and running. A motion was made from the floor which was duly seconded that the MAB make a donation to the BFPA in the amount of $400. The motion was then adopted. So, McDaniel had his seed money donation in hand. Now he had to convince a reluctant Liggett to accept the editor's role. In the end, McDaniel's winning argument was the urgent need and necessity for the blindness community to have an objective and open alternative magazine. Although still reluctant and self-effacing, Liggett agreed, with assurances of ongoing support and assistance from the BFPA's growing network of members throughout the country, to accept the editor's position of the envisioned Braille-free press. Now came the daunting task of making the Braille-free press into a functioning reality. In fact, the first issue of the Braille-free press, BFP, was published in the fall of 1958. Hollis signed articles were filled with the conviction and passion of a new convert to the underlying and righteous cause for the very existence of the BFP. He would occasionally sprinkle in some biblical imagery and even a verse or two from the Bible. Some of his readers were captivated by the fire and zeal of Hollis' writings, while other readers felt and responded to the spirituality contained in those writings. The BFP was being produced on a shoestring budget, and those who subscribed to and received the magazine were strongly encouraged after reading to pass the magazine to someone who did not get the BFP, and for that person to pass the issue on to a third person with the same instructions. Thus, while the subscription list for the BFP may have seemed relatively small to some observers, the ever-growing network of those reading the BFP and being informed about what was truly going on in the NFB was inspiring and amazing. With each new issue of the BFP, Liggett's crusading reputation and legendary status grew exponentially. However, shielded in his local cocoon in Memphis, 
Liggett seems to have been blithely unaware of his key role in the turmoil that was going on within the blindness community. All was not serious within the pages of the BFP. A column entitled Borderline Lee was very popular with the BFP's readership. Written by Floyd Qualls and Durward McDaniel, Lee, in a down-home and homespun dialect, would satirically, with tongue firmly planted in cheek, poke fun at the pomposity all too often displayed by the NFB's national leadership. For example, when Ken Jernigan announced in a speech at the NFB's 1960 National Convention in Miami that because he was so busy in his job as commissioner of the Iowa Commission for the Blind, he simply did not have the time to run for or serve in a national officer position, Borderline Lee commented that Ken was so busy messing things up for blind folks in Iowa that he just couldn't do any more officering within the NFB. As matters were coming to a head with the formation of the American Council of the Blind, ACB, during NFB's 1961 National Convention at Kansas City, the BFP era was quickly coming to a close. While one last BFP issue reporting on what had taken place at Kansas City was published at the end of 1961, it was shortly thereafter followed by the first issue of the Braille Forum, published under the auspices of ACB. Hollis Liggett continued to believe fervently in underlying causes which had led to the publication of the BFP. In his quiet and unassuming manner, Liggett believed that he had been recruited to fill the BFP editor's role, and that he had performed that role to the best of his abilities. He continued to believe that in performing his assigned role, he had done nothing that rose to the height of being extraordinary, transformative, or exceptional. The passage of half a century has revealed that Hollis has greatly underestimated the value of his role as BFP editor. Because of his family obligations and the demands of his vending business, while he remained active in his local chapter, Liggett did not have the money or free time to attend state or national ACB conventions. After the passage of fifty years, we have the advantage of prescient hindsight, and we can clearly see the legendary role that Hollis played during those turbulent years which led to ACB's birth. While Hollis would protest that he was only doing his duty, we know that without Liggett's leadership and key role performance during trying times, the history of the blindness movement would have been far different, and probably for the worse. Hollis Liggett's role in all of these matters was nothing other than crucial and legendary, and we in ACB salute him today for all of his contributions, which directly led to the truly grassroots, representative, democratic organization of the blind, which we proudly belong to today. ACB in the Silver State Golden Past, Diamond Future By Sharon Lovering, Judy Jackson, Janine Stanley, Paul Edwards, Marcia Dresser, and Ken Stewart Editor's Note to listen to any convention session, go to www.acb.org slash node slash 559 and select the session you'd like to hear from the menu on the left side of the page, then hit the Enter key. You may also download the MP3 file by selecting the link for whichever day you want, hitting the Context key or right-clicking on it with the mouse. Select Save Target As and then hit enter. End of note. ACB celebrated its 50th anniversary with a look at its past and its future with a variety of speakers, historical glimpses from past presidents, and gems from its present. Sunday. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Let me call the 50th Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind to order, stated Mitch Pomerantz, ACB president. Our theme is apropos. ACB in the Silver State, Golden Past, Diamond Future. And this week you'll learn about our past and you'll find out about our future. Mayor Gino Martini of Sparks, Nevada, welcomed attendees. It's such a great honor, especially now that I know this is your 50th convention. I think it's wonderful that you chose the city of Sparks to hold it, he said. Rick Coomey, president of the Nevada Council of the Blind and co-chair of the local host committee, spoke next. It is indeed an honor and a pleasure to be here and to welcome you to the state of Nevada, he said. Nevada is proud to host this convention and conference, and we know you're going to enjoy it. Following the welcomes, Pomerantz gave his annual president's report. To read the report, see September's issue, as well as this issue and the December issue. He noted the recent passing of Hollis Liggett, and concluded with reading the names of the charter members. With a cue from Pomerantz, the sound booth rolled a tape of past president Reese Robron, 1966-1972, from the 25th Annual Convention in 1986. I was the first treasurer, second president of ACB, Robron said. As president of ACB, I had the privilege of experiencing opportunities which never otherwise would I have been able to enjoy. The convention next heard from Gilles Pepin, chief executive officer of Humanware Incorporated. He congratulated ACB on its great work over the last 50 years. In 1961, Technologies available to visually impaired people were limited and pretty expensive, Pepin said. The basic technology kit for a visually impaired person was mainly composed of a white cane, a Perkins brailer, probably a slate and stylus, and if lucky, a tape recorder. With the budget crisis, everyone has been cutting funding for access technology, he noted. I believe the current level of funding available is too low, and could bring us longer term in a vicious cycle where many visually impaired people will have difficulty acquiring the proper equipment, having an impact on their ability to get the necessary education for a job, which in turn could potentially weaken the old assistive technology sector. And the consequence would be the gap between mainstream and assistive technology growing larger. I'm often being asked what the next big thing will be in assistive technology, he said and I'm really struggling finding a good answer to this important question. The trend that I see is more about our ability to put more processing power, more memory, and more efficiency in a form factor that is more mobile. Alan Casey, chairman of the Durward K. McDaniel Committee, introduced this year's first-timers. Darren Cheney from Idaho and Michael Golfo from New York. Then Pomerantz moved on to life membership presentations. New life members include Sandy Wilbur, Cincinnati, Ohio, Dan Dillon, Hermitage, Tennessee, Alina Eller, Troutman, North Carolina, Barbara Lacey, Raleigh, North Carolina, Ken Jessup, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Edwin Rumsey, Houston, Texas, Loretta Welch, Butler, Missouri, Ida Scotty, Festus, Missouri, Allison Smitherman, Jackson, Mississippi, John Bancroft, San Francisco, California, and Sarah LaPrade, Tupelo, Mississippi. 
Ron Milliman updated the convention on the progress of the monthly monetary support program. Pomerantz then introduced Carl Augusto and Paul Schrader from the American Foundation for the Blind, who presented ACB with an access award. Following the award presentation, Jean Mann gave the first Credentials Committee report. She thanked the affiliates who sent in their membership lists in on time and reminded everyone that the deadline was March 15th. I just want to remind all of you to please let us know if you have problems, Mann said. Get in touch with Sharon in the national office, get in touch with me, or whoever the next chairperson may be. We're more than willing to work with you, and we want to know what's going on. The session ended with the roll call of affiliates and the presentation of a charter to the Idaho Council of the Blind. Monday Monday began with the conducting of ACB business. New this year were presentations by the conference's Ruby sponsors. First to present was Dr. Joseph Hull of Vanda Pharmaceuticals, who provided an update on some of the findings about sleep disorders that Vanda has made. The credentials report was adopted with no penalties for any affiliate. Both the standing rules and the convention program were adopted. Kim Charlson was then introduced as presiding officer for Monday. As part of the 50th anniversary celebration, recordings of former ACB presidents were played. Oral Miller provided details of his life and career. Then it was time for awards. Paul Edwards, chair of the Board of Publications, presented three awards. The Hollis Liggett Award, which recognizes affiliate newsletters, went to Washington State and was accepted by Denise Colley. The Vernon Henley Media Award went to Major League Baseball for its efforts to make its website and audio player more accessible to people who are blind. The Ned E. Freeman Award went to Carmela Broom for an article she published in the Braille Forum concerning her efforts to record a book she had written about her experiences in college. Cindy Van Winkle then presented several awards. The Nevada Council of the Blind, which grew by 78.9%, received the Affiliate Growth Award. Rick Coolmey, president, said the affiliate worked hard to find new people and even waylaid folks shopping in malls to try to persuade them to join. Also receiving an affiliate growth award was the Utah Council of the Blind, which managed to get 247 new members last year. Linda Collins, president, indicated that part of their success lay in the fact that they had an AmeriCorps grant, which allowed them to go visit people who are blind throughout Utah. They also have transportation coupons and coupons for readers. The awards committee did not present an outreach award this year. Van Winkle urged affiliates and chapters to go back and reach out to the community and tell the awards committee about their efforts. The George Cart Award goes to a person who has made significant contributions to the success of people who are blind. The recipient this year is Pratik Patel, chair of the Information Access Committee and someone who has worked closely with the staff of ACB to forward our efforts to get more cooperation from organizations like Google, Microsoft, and Apple. Patel indicated that his committee was being recognized as much as he was and thanked them for their hard work. He stated that he worked on these issues because he cared deeply about increasing access to technology for people who are blind. After the awards presentations came Chris Driggs, an archivist from Carson City, Nevada. He told the story of how Nevada became a state in 1864. Dr. Francisco Lima, a university professor from Brazil, was our international speaker this year. Brazil is larger than the U.S. minus Alaska and is the fifth largest country by population in the world. 
He spoke about the high unemployment rate and the poor education. He reviewed some of the disability history in Brazil. The minimum wage is about $250 a month, so it is difficult to get expensive devices. Audio description is now being provided in Brazil. Companies with 100 employees are expected to hire at least two who are disabled. Lima indicated that we should all fight for human rights, and we must work to create opportunities for everyone in our world. Following Francisco Lima, we heard a brief presentation from John Esquaga, owner of the Nugget Hotel, who welcomed us and told us that he had grown up on a farm in Idaho, was five feet four inches tall, and was proud to welcome us to Sparks, Nevada. Jim Kutch, president of the Seeing Eye, presented ACB with a plaque recognizing our 50th anniversary, which Mitch Pomerantz accepted. Next on the program was a panel of people to talk about ACB's past. M.J. Schmidt, who was in Kansas City in 1961, focused on the difference between ACB and NFB. She said that we in ACB are democratic, while NFB is a top-down organization where people are told what to do by the leadership. She described the time when ACB was formed as a terrible time where people's children were told they could not play with their best friends if their parents were on different sides. She said that most of the dissidents would like to have stayed in the NFB if it could have been democratized. Phyllis Burson is the wife of the late Brad Burson, who was an active member of the Federation at the time of the secession. Phyllis indicated that Brad tried hard to get the Federation involved in an employment project for blind people, but, because of his opposition to the leadership, that project was not carried through. Phyllis ended by saying that Brad was fond of telling people that the most important thing they could do with their lives was to agitate, agitate, agitate. He felt people should spend their lives working on things that would better the lives of everyone. Michael Byington was the son of Jack and Bonnie Byington, who were charter members of ACB from Kansas. Michael was only seven in 1961, but has vivid memories of his very articulate parents' discussions of the events surrounding the creation of ACB. He paid tribute to Reese Robron and Brad Burson, who were both mentors to him, and indicated that one of the reasons ACB was created concerned not fundamental differences in philosophy, but because of disagreement over how an organization of people who are blind should be governed. Eric Bridges, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, provided a report on the last year of legislation. On October 8th, S-3304, the 21st Century Video and Accessibility Act, was signed at the White House. Bridges said that this is the most significant law to pass since the ADA, and that ACB should be very proud of its role. After the passage of the law, emphasis has shifted to the regulatory arena, where ACB has made comments on three notices of proposed rulemaking this year. He indicated that Apple's efforts to produce accessibility for its products, particularly the iPhone, have been an example, because most people thought that accessibility to a touchscreen for blind people was something that could not be created. The Pedestrian Safety Enhancement Act also passed in December, and will go a long way to making people who are blind safer as work is done on quiet car warnings. End of Side 1 Side 2 The Braille Forum Volume 50, October-November 2011, Number 3. This side contains... Listening in from my computer. I wish I could have been there. By Zerlene Johnson. Mega No Maki Self-Defense Training. By Sharon Lovering. Racing to Louisville. 
by Janet Dickelman. DKM poised for 2012. Nelds, creating a better future for those with vision loss, by Jeff Tom and Chris Gray. Continuing with ACB in the Silver State, Golden Past, Diamond Future, by Sharon Lovering, Judy Jackson, Janine Stanley, Paul Edwards, Marcia Dresser, and Ken Stewart. Resolutions concerning technology at our 2010 convention have resulted in ACB reaching out to Google, Microsoft, Apple, Sprint, and Facebook. Google has recognized that it has problems and is actively working with ACB to identify and solve them. Google is a Ruby sponsor and will be working with ACB to conduct a survey on how blind people access technology or how they do not. The survey was Google's idea. Facebook is working with ACB to do better. But has a long way to go. Progress has been made with Sprint as well. Sprint has developed roadmaps for their handset manufacturers concerning accessibility and has made a commitment to work on doing better. Change won't happen overnight, but Bridges believed that our engagement with all these companies was bearing fruit. Oral Miller stated that this year the recreation zone information was all together in one place in the program. Activities include exercise, audible darts, and golf. Tuesday. This session of the ACB National Conference and Convention was sponsored by Adobe Systems. Patrick Sheehan presented the nominating committee's report, proposing the following slate of candidates: President Mitch Pomerantz, First Vice President Kim Charlson, Second Vice President Brenda Dillon, Secretary Marlena Lieberg, Treasurer Carla Rushevel. Susan Crawford from the U.S. Department of Justice spoke about the settlement agreement reached with Wells Fargo in May. In it, Wells Fargo has agreed to comply with the ADA in physical accessibility, website access, and provision of financial information in alternative formats. There is also a monetary relief fund of $16 million, the largest settlement agreement under the ADA thus far. If you believe that you have experienced discrimination due to disability by Wells Fargo or Wachovia, contact the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division. Email wfclaims at usdoj.gov. Phone one eight six six seven zero eight one two seven three. All claims must be received by January twenty ninth, two thousand twelve. Otis Stevens, chair of the Constitution and Bylaws Committee, presented the first reading of a proposed constitutional amendment and bylaw to provide for secret ballot voting. Pomerantz turned the convention over to ACB's second vice president Brenda Dillon, who proudly introduced a segment featuring past president Otis Stevens, 1987 to 1989. A highlight of Tuesday's proceedings is always the introduction of scholarship winners, Patty Slobby. Chair of the Scholarship Committee did the honors. The winners are Floyd Qualls Memorial Scholarships, Michelle Hackman, Michael Jernigan, Samuel Muwanguzi, William G. Corey Memorial Scholarship, Hayden Dom, Kelly Cannon Memorial Scholarship, Corey Cadlick, Arnold Sadler Memorial Scholarship, Kate Cadillac. Eunice Fiorito Memorial Scholarship, Caitlin Lynch, National Industries for the Blind Grant M. Mack Memorial Scholarship, 
Eric Chandler Whittington. Dr. S. Bradley Burson Memorial Science Scholarship. Sarah Conrad. John Hebner Memorial Scholarship. Patricia Kepler. Bay State Council of the Blind Scholarship. Morgan Mulkern. James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship. Noah Beckman. Dwayne Buckley Memorial Scholarship. Rose Martin. Ross N. and Patricia Pangier Scholarships. Ryan Beyer. Paulette Monty. Jeff Levitke, the attorney assisting ACB, updated the audience on progress made toward accessible currency. In May of 2010, a notice of proposed rulemaking in the Federal Register stated that the Bureau of Engraving and Printing was making the following recommendations to the Secretary of the Treasury to comply with the court order to provide accessible currency. 1. Put a tactile feature on each bill. 2. Provide currency readers free of charge to blind and visually impaired Americans. And 3. Continue to do research on making currency accessible. A tactile feature will be incorporated into future redesigns of currency. ACB is committed to seeing this process through. Dillon next introduced a panel spotlighting ACB's present through the work of its various committees. Each of the presenters and contact information for their committees can be found on the ACB website. Pratik Patel, chair of the Information Access Committee, explained how issues come to the committee's attention, often from reports that come into the ACB national office. He noted that one of the more frustrating access issues still involves the use of CAPTCHAs, visual solutions as part of login screens or other access to web content. Access to websites in general, including social networking sites, is high on the committee's agenda. Two resolutions dealing with information access have been proposed this year involving Netflix and access to applications for mobile platforms. Peggy Garrett proudly announced that this is also the 25th anniversary of the Multicultural Affairs Committee. The committee represents members of minority ethnicities facing discrimination. They hold a luncheon and several social activities during each year's conference. Garrett noted that ACB's diversity is what allows us to assist so many blind and visually impaired people, and encouraged everyone to become involved with the committee. Paul Edwards began his presentation by thanking Debbie Grubb, chair of the Environmental Access Committee, for her tireless work with ACB. The committee has worked for the past two years to produce a revised edition of ACB's Pedestrian Safety Handbook. He also announced two significant initiatives of the Board of Publications— the redesign of the ACB website, and the availability of the Braille Forum in a barred format for playing on NLS machines. The forum will also be available soon on the barred and web Braille websites. Cindy Van Winkle then asked everyone to look at what they get out of ACB and remember that in order to get something, one must give something. She encouraged everyone to offer their resources, time, talent, or financial, to help ACB create a diamond future. The session ended with a report from Ruth Scoville, acting director, and Michael Katzman, chief of the Materials Development Division, National Library Service for the Blind. NLS celebrated its 80th anniversary earlier in 2011. As of July 4th, 2,679,493 copies of 6,121 digital titles have been distributed to cooperating regional libraries, 400,000 digital players have been produced. Over 21,000 titles have been added to the Bard's site.
The popular BARD website is undergoing some changes. The web braille service will be incorporated into the BARD site by the end of 2011. Currently, there are over 10,000 books and magazines available via web braille, and over 1,500 music scores for voice, piano, and guitar, plus other types of music related items. NLS continues production of foreign language titles, with 60 Spanish titles produced in 2011 and 75 slated for 2012. Other languages soon to appear on BARD include Russian, Arabic, Mandarin, French, German, Polish, Portuguese, and Ukrainian. In 2011, over 200 commercial audio titles were made available on BARD. Next year, NLS will investigate limited use of synthetic speech as well as other types of audio content. Regarding the electronic publishing industry, NLS and those working on standards expect that the DAISY standard will yield to the new EPUB format, but accessibility will only come through advocacy from groups like ACB. Goals for 2012 include daily uploading of material to the BARD site once approved, outreach and development of applications for Android and iPhone platforms. Wednesday. Wednesday began with the adoption of a change that will require ACB to implement a secret ballot starting next year. A bylaw amendment was also adopted that indicates that we will use a paper ballot. The gavel was then passed to Marlena Lieberg, ACB's secretary, who introduced the past president segment. Leroy Saunders provided a history of his life, which began in Virginia, where he became superintendent of a workshop in Charlottesville. He moved to Oklahoma, and only after taking over as director of the Oklahoma League for the Blind did Leroy become actively involved in ACB. He indicated that he was proud of the independence he has always sought to maintain and has truly enjoyed all the work he has done for ACB and with the Committee for Purchase, where he served for 10 years. The first panel dealt with privacy and access to medical information. Dr. Chris Cook, a naturopathic physician who also is visually impaired, Provided basic information about patients' rights to privacy, and talked about how she, as a doctor, had to set up a secure online system in order to protect information. Paula Perlman suggested that people request HIPAA forms in advance and fill them out before going to the doctor. She stressed that people are not required to bring someone with them to fill out forms, and that offices ought to provide a private place for filling out medical history forms. She indicated that we have the right to ask that medical information be shared electronically, and said we should be sure that information is sent to our home email addresses. Titles 2 and 3 of the ADA and many other laws do create rights. She suggested writing in advance to the hospital or health care provider describing the particular accommodations you need. She stressed that we are not asking for favors. We have the right to these protections and to accommodations. The materials handed out at this session are available at www.dizabilityrighthslegalcenter.org. The next panel concerns safety inside and outside the home. Dr. Wendy David urged people to read her book, Safe Without Sight. Which is available from the National Braille Press and still relevant 14 years after publication. She indicated that we must all develop inner confidence so that we can avoid feeling as vulnerable as we otherwise might. There are six specific things we can do to feel and be safer, which Wendy described. 
Together, they spell the word safety. They are survival instinct, awareness, fake it till you make it, empowerment, trust, and yell. Tracy Hawkins owns a security business in Missouri. Her presentation included five assignments. First, call for a police safety inspection. Second, examine your house as if you were a criminal. Third, know your neighbors. Fourth, develop a safety plan. Fifth, prepare for and practice a fire safety escape. Kristen Allison from Talking Book Publishers was this year's narrator. She paid tribute to many other readers for whom she had learned, and indicated that she was glad to have worked as a monitor before starting to read, so that she could observe others' techniques. Allison read from a new vampire book and then took questions from the audience. Next up was a panel on ACB's future. Sarah Conrad, president of the National Alliance of Blind Students, said that encouraging student participation is crucial. She indicated that we could work for ways to help students financially to be involved in ACB. She urged us to create a system that would nurture students by creating mentors. Conrad suggested that we were not doing enough to provide programming that is attractive to students. Suzanne Whalen is a recent member who is now president of the ACB affiliate in Dallas, Texas, and was formerly an NFB leader. At the heart of what she said is the fact that ACB has the integrity and independence to represent people who are blind, while the federation is more like an agency, given all the projects it is funding and running to train people who are blind. Whalen indicated that we must be sure that state and local officials hear our points of view and our approach. She indicated that it had taken her a long time to see the light, but now I am home and will do anything I can to work with the ACB to make things better for people who are blind. Kenneth Semyon Senior says that when we are looking at ACB's diamond future, we should look at the diamond and create an organization that sparkles, is appealing, and is valuable. Semi enlisted a number of articles he had written that will help ACB achieve that diamond future if we take the steps he outlines. Joel Snyder described the current state of ACB's audio description project. Our institute, where we train describers, taking place this week, has a record number of participants. We recently received a large grant from the Department of Education, which we will be operating in conjunction with the Smith Kettlewell Institute in San Francisco. In August, we will be conducting an audio-described tour of the White House. Snyder indicated that he needs more volunteers to work on audio description and asked that people contact him through the national office. Chris Gray then presented a number of audio description awards. Thursday, Marjorie Beeman recognized all of the convention sponsors and introduced Naomi Black, who is part of the accessibility engineering team at Google. Black said that Google is committed to making all of its products accessible to everyone, and everyone who works at Google has a role in this effort. Google's philosophy is to launch their products early, before they are set in stone, so that changes can be made based on feedback from consumers. She acknowledged that the accessibility of DOCX, apps, Gmail, and Android need a great deal of improvement. She urged everyone to visit www.googlelead.com/accessibility and go to the feedback link and post comments about Google's products. Next, Carla Rushevel described the new golden anniversary banners, which commemorate all of the places where ACB has held conventions since 1962. 
Otis Stevens gave the first reading of a proposed amendment to Bylaw 3. Resolutions Committee Chair Judy Jackson presented Resolution 2011-01, affirming ACB's support of an international copyright treaty, which would make it easier for people with print disabilities to share materials in accessible formats with qualifying people overseas. Following a short discussion, the resolution was adopted. Outgoing ACB Treasurer Mike Gadino presided for the rest of the morning. Burl Colley, who is spearheading the ACB Oral History Project, presented a recording of reflections from Paul Edwards, ACB president from 1995 to 2001. Next, Gadino introduced Michelle Woods, who runs the Office of Policy and International Affairs at the U.S. Copyright Office, a division of the Library of Congress. For the last two years, Woods has been part of the U.S. delegation to WIPO regarding matters of copyright. The first goal in crafting an international treaty is to provide more national exceptions. Currently, only 55 of the 147 WIPO member countries have laws to provide material in accessible formats. Second, it would be very helpful if these exceptions laws were more uniform in nature. Third, it is crucial to allow cross-border transfer so that more books would be available in more languages, which would help to reduce the access to knowledge gap in developing countries. Woods outlined the difficulties inherent in the process, and concluded by summarizing the meeting on the international treaty which was held in Geneva in June. Judy Dixon, Director of Consumer Relations at the National Library Service and the Chair of the Braille Authority of North America, BANA, spoke next. BANA has just drafted new guidelines for the development of tactile graphics, which should be released shortly. Guidelines for foreign language are almost completed, and Braille formats guidelines will be available next year. Braille production costs must be reduced. Children's textbooks are increasingly visual, with many icons and symbols which must be recognizable in Braille. Everyone needs increased access to technology. Therefore, for many reasons, Braille must change with the times. Two systems, UEBC and NUBS, have been proposed, which would combine all of the existing Braille codes into one code. Neither system has been adopted in the U.S., Any changes to the Braille code will be implemented gradually, with much planning and forethought, and there will be no major changes to the formatting rules currently in use. Dixon urged those who love Braille to use it every day, and to ask for Braille wherever you go. Patronize companies and restaurants that give access to Braille statements, manuals, and menus, and express appreciation for these services. Make it a personal goal to do one thing each month to promote Braille. Everyone should learn as much as possible about how Braille is used and why change is necessary, and figure out what you think should be done to meet the challenges of today. For the latest information on BANA, visit www.brailleauthority.org. Next, Executive Director Melanie Brunson gave her report. New staff has been hired in the D.C. and Minneapolis offices, Dion Matthews is Melanie's new administrative assistant, and Steve Obremski is the new director of development, who is developing plans to increase and diversify ACB's sources of revenue. He hopes to work with affiliates requiring fundraising assistance, and to enlist the aid of affiliates to increase ACB's participation in the combined federal campaign. A great deal of effort has gone into implementing the resolutions passed at the 2010 convention, especially in the area of technology. 
The Bureau of Engraving and Printing is committed to providing accessible currency in the near future. The Social Security Administration is providing beneficiaries with statements in accessible formats. Anyone having difficulty obtaining these should contact the national office. The implementation of the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act is being closely monitored. Efforts are underway in the Senate to reauthorize the Workforce Investment Act and the Rehabilitation Act. ACB is collaborating with other blindness organizations to make sure that our issues are addressed when the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act (IDEA) is reauthorized. Brunson is passionate about the right of everyone to read in their format of choice, and she is very appreciative of the work of the U.S. delegation to WIPO. Brunson, Pomerantz, and Lieberg have created a new show on ACB Radio called ACB Coast to Coast. Be sure to check it out. Despite technology glitches, ACB is always working to improve the efficiency of communications, and Brunson wants to hear from ACB members with any ideas or concerns. She concluded by saying that every person can make a difference, and that our work is not finished. Fifty more years, fifty more bills, at least. Carol Ewing announced that Valley Braille in Nevada will donate one thousand dollars worth of transcribing Braille to the 2012 ACB convention. Pomerantz stated that eight nations, in addition to the U.S., were represented at this convention. Following the break, Treasurer Mike Gadino gave his report. He thanked the chairs of the committees for which he served as liaison. The 2010 audit is complete. ACB received two million three hundred twenty-one thousand one hundred ninety-eight dollars in revenues and incurred expenses of one million five hundred twenty-one thousand one hundred sixty-three dollars. As of the end of 2010, ACB's total assets were two million two hundred twenty-nine thousand five hundred sixty-eight dollars. Gadino thanked everyone who switched their form subscriptions to email, and he thanked all those who worked with him during the past six years. Michael Garrett, chair of the ACB Enterprises and Services (ACBES) board, thanked the board members and Minneapolis staff who work with him, and briefly explained what ACBES is and what it does. He stated that, due to the poor economy, one thrift store had to be closed. The remaining six stores are doing as well as can be expected. A business plan has been developed with the goal of expansion of the program, thereby increasing revenue for ACB. Next, Carla Rushville thanked the members of the convention committee, the local host committee, and the volunteers. Pre-registration was up from last year. The 2012 convention will be held at the Galt House in Louisville, Kentucky, with rates of $85 per night, single double for a regular room, and $105 per night, single double for a suite. The 2013 and 2014 conventions will be held in Columbus, Ohio, and Las Vegas, respectively. Rushville announced that although she will very much miss it, she is stepping down as convention coordinator, and Janet Dickelman is assuming this role. The ACB auction netted $27,715. The walkathon raised approximately $25,000. Trophies were awarded to the individuals, affiliates, and teams raising the most money for the walk run. Friday. Friday was a day for conducting officer elections and acting on resolutions not already considered. All officers and members of the board of directors serve two-year terms. All director terms end in even-numbered years, and all officers are elected in odd-numbered years. Officers and directors are limited to three consecutive terms, 
but only Treasurer Mike Adina was completing his final term. All officers who could serve another term ran for re-election and were unopposed. Carla Rushevel from Kentucky was placed on the slate by the nominating committee earlier in the week for the treasurer position, and John McCann from Virginia was nominated from the floor. After each candidate identified two speakers, those presentations were made, Patrick Sheehan and Jeff Tom for Rushevel, and Billie Jean Keith and Sandra Sermons for McCann. Then members present in the hall cast a vote for one of the candidates by standing when that name was called. After that, the official delegate for each affiliate present was called in alphabetical order to announce his vote. Rushevel received about two-thirds of the votes cast and was declared the next treasurer of the organization. Earlier in the session, the body heard a recorded autobiographical presentation by immediate past President Christopher Gray. He described his college and graduate school education, highlights from his personal life, and his many important roles in the organization, which include member of the Board of Directors, chair of the Board of Publications, and president from 2001 to 2007. Prior to elections, Constitution and Bylaws Committee Chair Otis Stevens reported one more proposed bylaw change. It concerned modifying the dues structure as applied to those who are members of both state and special interest affiliates. The proposed amendment was soundly defeated by voice vote. After elections, many more resolutions were presented by Judy Jackson, assisted by Paul Edwards. The full text of resolutions adopted will be placed on the website, www.acb.org, and can also be requested by contacting the National Office. The afternoon's business ended on a positive note, with resolutions expressing appreciation to the wonderfully helpful volunteers and others who contributed extraordinarily to the success of the conference and convention. Laudatory comments about the hotel staff were abundant. The Friday evening festivities began with a reception for life members. Later, at the banquet, attendees were delighted with an entertaining mock Jeopardy quiz show with the answer-question material drawing on ACB history. The winner was Roger Peterson, who edged out the other three who volunteered to participate, Becky Barnes, Paul Edwards, and Carla Westjohn. Listening in from my computer. I wish I could have been there. By Zerlene Johnson. From the Pledge of Allegiance to the close of the general session on Friday, I was glued to my computer listening to just about every general session that took place in Reno, Nevada. Some voices I knew and there were plenty that I didn't. There was so much to take in and so much to learn, from the history of how ACB got started from M.J. Schmidt to what we are doing now and plan to do in the future. Hearing interviews from our past presidents was interesting, eye-opening, and informative. The resolutions, their amendments, and the discussions and the wordsmiths were interesting too. Thankfully, there weren't too many of them, but it's nice to know that someone is listening. The candidates' forum Thursday evening was informative. All of the offices were not contested, just the office for treasurer. Personally, I would have taken the lawyer. I wish the new officers well and hope that we keep being an open and democratic organization. I was glad when it finally was over, for I had to adjust my time from New York to Nevada time. Thank God for iPhone and world clocks. It was like watching a really good movie or reading a can't-put-it-down novel. I was glued and hated when I had to go and walk the dog or something like that. I only missed Wednesday, but was able to listen to it later thanks to reruns. I only had one regret. I couldn't vote.
with the ability to listen to what is happening at the very same time that it is going on, why can't those of us who couldn't attend the convention take part in the voting process? That is something for one of the committees to work on or think about for the future. I feel that you would get more participation and more members if they knew that they could take part even though they are sitting at their computers at home or work, etc. I was told by Michael Golfo, who was one of the DKM first-timers, that the room was so big it took a few minutes to get from one side to the other. Marlena and our president, along with Mike Godino and the others who chaired each morning's general session, were very professional and kept things moving. Well done, guys. From the sleep study, to how we are doing financially, nothing was boring. I may not have understood all of it, but I can say that I didn't want to miss a thing. All I can say is I wish I could have been there. I really enjoyed what I heard, and cheered, and shouted when I thought things weren't right, because I didn't have to worry about someone saying, Order! Thanks for broadcasting the conventions. Mega Nomaki Self-Defense Training by Sharon Lovering. One of the most interesting seminars offered at this year's convention was the Mega Nomaki Self-Defense for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Most of the participants were blind or visually impaired, with a few sighted folks joining in. Classes were held on several evenings. The first night, about 30 people attended and listened to instructors Stephen Nichols and Kate DeMoss describe the program. Mega Nomaki is rooted in traditional martial arts. It teaches techniques specifically adapted to the needs of blind and visually impaired people, and addresses how to target an attacker and defend yourself, what to do if you can't make a quick escape, and briefly covered the laws allowing people to protect themselves, and how they differ for the visually impaired. Nichols, who is from the United Kingdom, was quick to remind his listeners that the laws are different in the U.S., and that each state's laws are often different in what they allow as self-defense. Following the talk, Nichols and DeMoss paired everyone up for a few basic exercises. "'What do you do if someone touches you?' Nichols asked. When no one answered, he told us, "'You touch them back,' and demonstrated the technique on DeMoss. We began to practice. My partner reached over and put her right hand on my left shoulder. I reached over with my right hand and grabbed her right hand, putting pressure on it and locking it in place. The two instructors walked around checking on each pair of people, making sure they understood how to perform the technique, correcting them, and coaching. After a few minutes, everyone seemed to have caught on. We then got to try it using right and left hands alternately, to make sure we really had the technique down. Nichols and DeMoss walked around checking and correcting us. Once we had the technique down, Nichols added another step to it, and after learning several more steps, we worked our way to being able to bring an opponent to his, her knees by using the joint locks and pressure points we'd learned. Many of the techniques were familiar to me from taking Taekwondo and Tang Sudo, but some of the applications differed slightly. The next evening, we practiced the joint locks and such that we'd learned the night before. Several new people attended, and Nichols and DeMoss taught them the basics first, so that they could keep up with everyone. Then we got to try some new moves. Nichols lined us up and taught us an on-guard position. For those familiar with martial arts, it is reminiscent of a fighter's stance. One leg forward, one back, both knees bent. But the hands, instead of being balled up in fists, are open, with the front hand slightly farther away from the body. We worked on that for a few minutes. Then he approached each of us with a punch in turn, 
and we were to use our on-guard position to block his punch. He said that my on-guard position looked more karate-like, but that it would work. After we'd all been successful at least once, we paired off and learned a simple defense drill. We stood hand-to-hand with our partners. One partner would punch first, the other would defend. My partner punched first. I blocked her with my left hand, pushed her punching arm out of the way with my right, pushed it a little farther away with my left, then punched her with my right so she could practice the blocks and pushaways on me. Nichols called this percussion, and indeed, when he and Damas performed it, it truly sounded like someone playing the drums. The instructors walked around and made sure we were doing the technique properly. Time really seemed to fly while we were practicing these new techniques, and before we knew it, the session was over. Nichols reviewed with us what we'd learned over the last two days, and reminded us that there would be another session the next evening. He also offered packets of information about the program itself, the instructors, and how to become a certified instructor. If you are interested in becoming an instructor, contact Kate DeMoss via email. K-A-T-E at E-N-A-B-L-I-N-G S-A-F-E-T-Y dot I-N-F-O. Currently, The Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired in San Francisco, California, hosts these self-defense classes. Workshops cover Threat Recognition Mental State Body Posturing and Tonal Indication Substance Abuse and Threat Analysis Threat Response The Law Common Sense in Self-Defense Involvements with the Police and Witness Statements Recording an Incident How Do You Want People to Perceive You and Principles of Aggressive Behavior and Physical Self-Defense Techniques. If you're interested in taking one of these classes, call Richard Retta at The Lighthouse, 415-694-7334, or email r-u-e-d-a at l-i-g-h-t-h-o-u-s-e hyphen s-f dot org. For more information about the program, visit www E-N-A-B-L-I-N-G-S-A-F-E-T-Y dot I-N-F-O. Racing to Louisville by Janet Dickelman Isn't it amazing how quickly time flies? After such a wonderful convention and lovely sparks, plans have already begun for 2012 in Louisville. By the time you read this article, several members of the convention committee will have visited the Galt House, We will meet with the host committee and begin the process of obtaining sponsorships, recruiting volunteers, and visiting locations for potential tours. For those of you who have already asked, yes, we'll most likely have a tour to Maker's Mark, and we'll definitely visit APH. As many of you know, Carla Rushevel has left her duties as convention coordinator, and I've been named as her replacement. Carla has promised she will remain active in convention planning and available to answer my numerous questions. I am honored to be selected and am willing and open to your suggestions, criticisms, inquiries, and hopefully compliments. Fortunately, the convention committee will remain virtually the same. I'm really pleased about that, since hopefully you've all noticed the convention committee works very well together to ensure that your time at the ACB convention and conference goes as smoothly as possible. Michael Fulgham, Tour Coordinator Michael Smitherman, Exhibits Sally Benjamin, Volunteers Marjorie Beeman, 
sponsorship, and advertising. Bruce Radke, committee go-to person for any task that needs to be handled. Our newest committee member is the immediate past president of our Utah affiliate, Cindy Vega, who will be the information desk coordinator. Cindy has volunteered at the desk numerous times and will do an excellent job. The 2012 convention dates are Friday, July 6th through Saturday, July 14th. We will be at the historic Galt House Hotel, which many of you remember from 2000 and 2008. There are two towers in the hotel. The West Tower has standard rooms for $85 single-double occupancy, and the East Tower has one-bedroom suites for $105 single-double occupancy. Reservations for the convention can be made by phone by calling 1-800-THE-GALT or 1-800-843-4258. Callers should be sure to stipulate that they are with the American Council of the Blind when they call for reservations. For additional convention information, call the ACB National Office at 202-467-5081 or 1-800-424-8666 or contact Janet Dickelman, 651-428-5059 or by email at janet.dickelman at gmail.com. DKM Poised for 2012 The end of one ACB national conference and convention invariably points to the beginning of another and all the activities that go with it. For the DKM First-Timer Committee, the transition marks the beginning of another search for two future ACB leaders who have yet to attend the national conference and convention. Invitations for applicants will be extended in January 2012. Eligible applicants must be at least 18 years of age and members in good standing of ACB. The two recipients, one from East and one from West of the Mississippi, will come to the 2012 National Conference and Convention in Louisville as guests of the DKM Committee and ACB. For additional information on the DKM first-timer program, contact Committee Chair Alan Casey at 336-222-0201 or... M-A-H-A-T-M-A-A-C at AOL.com NELDS, Creating a Better Future for Those with Vision Loss by Jeff Tom and Chris Gray Whether it's legal advocacy for those who are blind or have low vision, or providing educational seminars, the National Education and Legal Defense Service is working to serve each and every one of us. For example... At the two most recent ACB conventions, NELDS has presented seminars on health care reform and the Americans with Disabilities Act. As we plan for the 2012 convention, we invite you to suggest advocacy issues that you feel would be important to address in our next NELDS seminar. End of Side 2, Side 3, The Braille Forum, Volume 50, October-November 2011, Number 3. This side contains RSVA Award Winners Affiliate News Opening the Gateway for Future Leaders by Sarah Conrad Upcoming Membership Focus Calls Here and There Edited by Sue Lichtenfels High Tech Swap Shop Continuing with NELDS Creating a Better Future for Those with Vision Loss by Jeff Tom and Chris Gray
Our most recent project is to work with Eric Bridges, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, to provide non-legislative advocacy services. By providing financial resources to ACB for this effort and utilizing the resources of its board members, we hope to assist as many people with visual impairments as possible. If you or someone you know has an advocacy issue and would like to obtain our assistance, we urge you to contact Melanie Brunson by email at mbrunson at acb.org or by telephone at one eight hundred four two four eight six six six. The unmet need for legal and advocacy assistance is staggering. And there is so much more that NELDS could be doing for those who are blind or who have low vision. We would love to expand what we can offer, but as with all organizations, there are associated costs. This past year, NELDS has reached out to individuals and ACB affiliates. Thanks to all of you who have responded, many with unexpected levels of true generosity. From this, we know that you understand the need. To encourage even greater participation from individuals and affiliates, Nelds has created five levels of membership. They are: bronze, twenty-five dollars; silver, fifty dollars; gold, one hundred dollars; platinum, five hundred dollars; diamond, one thousand dollars. No matter what level you choose, or even if you choose to give a different amount. We strongly encourage you to join with us to expand services to those in need of help with advocacy, and to all of us in need of additional education in advocacy matters. Together, we can create a brighter future for those with vision loss. For questions or additional information, please contact Chris Gray at c h r i s at b a y a r e a d i g i t a l dot u s. RSVA 2011 Award Winners. Each year, RSVA shows its appreciation to a few select people for their dedication to the preservation and growth of the Randolph Shepard program throughout the United States. The people selected to receive recognition for their outstanding service are nominated by other members. The Jennings Randolph Service Award is presented to someone outside of the Randolph Shepard program who has given his or her time and energy to Randolph Shepard Vendors of America and for his/her service to blind vendors, but is not a current active vendor. This year's Jennings Randolph Service Award was presented to Mary Lou Washburn. Mary Lou is the only child of visually impaired parents who taught her at a very early age to help others and treat everyone the same, regardless of who they may be. The love in her upbringing prepared her to be a loving parent to her two children and three grandchildren. She served as secretary of the Randolph Shepard Vendors of America for many years, using her vacation time and often her own money to attend the annual conventions and meetings. She has been a driver and volunteer for some of the Oklahoma City organizations for the blind, and still helps and/or drives for anyone who might need her. She has been an Elvis fan since 1956, and is a member of several Elvis clubs, which have presented her with various awards for her dedication and help. She recently received the Consumer Vision Magazine Humanitarian of the Year Award for outstanding community service for 2010. She and Ray reside in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. The Don Cameron Advocacy Award is presented in memory of Don Cameron for his many years of service for blind vendors. 
especially in the areas of communication and legislation. The winner must be or have been a member of RSVA for at least five years, must have been a blind vendor for at least 20 years, and must have been seeking to improve the goals of RSVA as well as promoting blind awareness in his, her community, state, and nation. This year's Don Cameron Advocacy Award was presented to Charles Glazer, RSVA president from 2006 to 2010. Charlie has over 33 years in the Randolph Shepard program. He has chaired many committees and served as vice chairman of the state's elected committee. He also served as president of a local chapter and nationally served as assistant convention coordinator. His goals have been to preserve and enhance the Randolph Shepard priority for blind entrepreneurs and to improve the quality of life for the blind population. The Vendor of the Year Award is presented to an RSVA member who has been an active member for at least five years and has given his, her time and energy to Randolph Shepard Vendors of America and for service to blind vendors. This year's Vendor of the Year Award went to Philo too. Philo is a godsend to the blind of Hawaii. He routinely spends personal resources, spends time lobbying in the state legislature as well as Hawaii's congressional delegation, listening to the concerns of the blind person, and educating the public about positive attitudes about blindness and blind people. He has an unusual charisma which wins people over. He operated the state's unemployment building facility for many years before moving to the Honolulu International Airport newsstand concession as president and CEO of Blind Vendors Ohana Incorporated. His greatest strength as a vendor is his positive relationships with his many customers. His charismatic quality is used daily to effectively work with his managerial staff at the airport and solve complex problems for the benefit of his 85 employees. Affiliate News South Carolina Convention The ACB of South Carolina Convention will be held November 4th through 6th at the American Best Value Inn, 1215 Highway 72 Bypass Northeast in Greenwood. To make reservations, call 864-223-2838. For more information, call or email Betty Jones, 864-543-2993, or mrsbettyjno1 at hotmail.com. Washington Council of the Blind Convention The Washington Council of the Blind will hold its annual convention November 3rd through 5th at the Red Lion Inn, 2525 North 20th Avenue, Pasco, Washington, 99301. To make reservations, call 509-547-0701. Room rates are $92 per night, single-double. Add $10 for each additional adult, plus taxes. To get this rate, register by October 4th and mention the WCB convention. This year, WCB will be providing two convention buses, all departing November 3rd and returning November 6th. The first bus will leave at 9.30 a.m. from Crossroads Church, 7555 Old Military Road in Bremerton, making stops in Port Orchard, Tacoma, and Federal Way. The second bus will leave at 11 a.m. from 7th and Stewart in Seattle, making a stop in Yakima. Sunday morning, the bus to Bremerton will leave at 9 a.m. and the Seattle bus at 10 a.m. To reserve a seat on either bus, 
Contact Shirley Taylor at 206-362-3118. On Friday, exhibits will be open from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. and will feature more than 20 vendors. Friday morning, we'll tackle a little business: presentations from a local legislator, two rehabilitation teachers from the Independent Living Program, vacationing as blind people, and learning about WATAP. The afternoon features six breakout sessions, two tours, rock climbing, and visiting a local winery, a talent show, and a luncheon. On Saturday morning, we will hear a report on the activities of ACB, host an employment panel, learn about starting your own personal garden, and hear from the directors of three agencies serving the blind in our state. And don't forget the business meeting. After the meeting's over, come and celebrate at the banquet. To register, visit www.wcbinfo.org and look for the convention registration form, or email wcbconvention at gmail.com, or call three six zero six eight nine zero eight two seven. One person perform, please. Forms must be postmarked no later than October fourth. On-site registrations will be accepted beginning at 7 a.m. November 4th. For up-to-date information about the upcoming WCB convention, call the WCB info line at 206-686-3048 or 800-255-1147 and press 7. ACB Diabetics in Action seeks new members. If you are a diabetic. Know a diabetic, are a family member of someone who is diabetic, or just interested in diabetes? Come and join ACB Diabetics in Action. When you pay your ten-dollar dues, you will receive our quarterly newsletter. You can join our email list by sending a blank email to acb-diabeticus-subscribe@acb.org. We also have conference calls, which you can participate in. I know there are a lot of people with diabetes, and this is a great way to learn how to cope with any problems you may be having. If you are interested in joining, please call Carol Edwards at nine three six four four five three two four one. Play your role in ACB's future. ACB Students is looking for interested affiliates to work with on a new project called Adopt a Student. Which is aimed at bringing students to convention for the first time. The entire ACB Students Board is involved because of scholarships, both state and national, and we all recognize the conference and convention experience as one of the things that keeps many people coming back. We want to join other affiliates to make the 2012 ACB conference and convention a reality for students who otherwise would not be able to attend. Each participating affiliate will sponsor a student's attendance at convention with logistical and clerical assistance from ACB students. The collaboration between our student affiliate and all other state and special interest organizations is crucial to the recruitment and retention of younger members, ultimately paving the way for a brighter future. Don't miss out on this great opportunity to introduce students to ACB students, your affiliate, and of course ACB as a whole. Opening the Gateway for Future Leaders, by Sarah Conrad. In the Gateway City, 
gateways were open for many ACB affiliate members as Midwestern leaders hosted and attended a hugely successful conference focusing on the various aspects of leadership development and performance August 19th through the 21st in St. Louis, Missouri. Ray Campbell, president of the Illinois Council of the Blind, said, As a current or established ACB leader, I felt like I heard several good ideas and learned a few things about myself and what I can do better. I also got a renewed shot of enthusiasm for projects that I'm either undertaking or hope to undertake in Illinois and across ACB. The conference began with an icebreaker session, hosted by Michael Byington. Participants were encouraged to choose a device that enhances their lives as blind individuals. Byington's interactive time of Who is Your Assistive Technology Device included an interview of each member as if he or she were the voice of the device. We heard from guide dogs about their picky owners, glasses crying out from being sat on, and white canes fearlessly leading their companions. The time was not only a light-hearted start to the conference, but it was also educational in providing ideas for the often awkward beginnings of affiliate calls, meetings, and events. Saturday's events were the meat of what leaders really need to know for effective affiliates. We heard from Ron Milliman about fundraising and media releases. He walked through the steps required for fundraising and charitable donations. In addition, leaders also learned how to write informational and entertaining media releases. We also heard from Chris Gray on treasurers, boards, and affiliates. Gray's presentations encouraged presidents in their work with treasurers, knowing that these positions are crucial to effective fundraising, spending, and an affiliate as a whole. Campbell encouraged leaders to advocate to their legislators about important issues pertaining to blindness. He highlighted the successful pursuits ACB has had at Capitol Hill and reminded us that we all have opportunities to contact our legislators, whether in D.C. or in local offices. Brenda and Dan Dillon shared information and ideas about effective business meetings. Ideas were given for incentives such as dinner or fun activities at meetings, which can make them more inviting. Brenda also discussed mentoring and membership retention, with thoughts for recruiting members. Suggestions included movie tickets, free meals, and networking opportunities to draw others into affiliates. Saturday wrapped up with a banquet, where Chris Gray spoke of the history of the Midwest ACB affiliates. This educational and inspirational story helped to encourage the future leaders and new generations of the organization, reminding all of the incredible leadership that has gone before us. Sunday's session wrapped up with information about the National Convention and project presentations. Many questions were answered for those who have never attended on a national level. In addition, projects were given to small groups Saturday, and we heard from each spokesperson at the end of the conference. The groups chose topics, mainly focusing on fundraising and membership. Groups were challenged to write a plan to raise $3,000 in a year or to plan a year's worth of affiliate meetings. Some fundraising ideas include a statewide trivia competition, service auction, and chili cook-off. Meetings scheduled were planned based on seasons, meals, and activities that corresponded to the timing given. The conference's success belongs both to its excited participants from Midwestern states and the planners of the event. I'm glad the effects of the planning committee, consisting of Deanna Noriega, MCB, Donna Seliger, and Stephanie Hunault, both members of ICUB, 
were appreciated by the 51 registered attendees, says Jim Iraq, president of ACB of Nebraska. The success of the conference proves that when affiliates work together, there is no limit to the success that can be achieved. These gateways open not only for seasoned leaders of ACB, but also for new members. Amy Morrison, who joined the Missouri Council this past January, expressed how wonderful the conference was for her. I thought that it had very practical information, she said. It's something I would do again. I felt like there were a lot of things to take away. Positive momentum continues to ignite in the Midwest as leaders open even more gates back in their home states. We hope the excitement, enthusiasm, and success may be shared in other regions. You can find audio recordings of the conference sessions at www.missourcouncilofthebblind.org slash events slash live slash. When people come together, there's no telling how many doors may be opened for the growth of our organization. Upcoming Membership Focus Calls Our next two ACB membership focus calls are on topics that the membership committee feels are important. Please come and join us on Sunday, October 30th, to discuss strategies for member renewal and reactivation. It will be held at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. The call-in number is 712-775-7000, and the passcode is 640009. The following membership focus call will be held on Sunday, January 29, 2012. We will discuss getting members at large involved. This call will be held at the same time, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and using the same call-in number. Please join in the call and share your ideas. Here and There Edited by Sue Lichtenfels. The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to info at acb.org or phone the National Office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Educational Award Winner Cambium Learning Group recently received two Bessie Awards from the Compute Head Gazette. The Bessie Awards recognize innovative technology programs that foster excellence in education. Kurzweil 3000 version 12 won in the high school special education software category and classroom suite won in the upper elementary special education category. Product details for these and other programs are available at www.cambiumlearningtechnologies.com. USS Intrepid The Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum in New York City has a wide variety of access programs available. Sign language tours occur on a bi-monthly basis. 
open captioning is available on all videos in the exhibit space. The audio guide is available, as well as assistive listening devices with hearing loops. Audio described guided tours with objects to touch are available monthly. Visitors may borrow large print labels for all permanent exhibitions. Text panels for heroic journeys, ordinary people, extraordinary stories feature Braille. Museum hours are April 1st through October 31st, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., Saturdays, Sundays, and holidays, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. From November 1st through March 31st, the museum is open Tuesday through Sunday and holidays from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. The museum is located on the west side of Manhattan on Pier 86, 12th Avenue and 46th Street. For more information, visit www.intrepidmuseum.org slash access dot aspx or call 646-381-5163. Got a sweet tooth? Sweet Tooth has added many new items to its list of products, including fudge, chocolate sauce, and truffles. Don't worry, your old favorites are still available too, from clusters of all kinds to molded chocolate to braille chocolate bars and guide dogs with braille on them. Braille bars have come with a choice of various sayings, including "Thank you," "Have a nice day," "Happy birthday," "Love you," "Merry Christmas," and "Happy holidays." They weigh four and a half ounces and can be made in milk, dark, white chocolate, or sugar-free. The bars can also be made with crisped rice, nuts, peppermint, or raisins. Guide dogs can be personalized with the dog's name or the owner's name, and come complete with a chocolate harness. Price lists are available online, in regular or large print, and braille. Sweet Tooth is also on Facebook. For more information, contact Judy Davis via email at j u d y d a v i s one two at r o c h e s t e r dot r r dot com. Or by phone at five eight five five four four one eight five three, or visit the website www.acsu.buffalo.edu/slash/lauraba/slash/sweettooth. Computers for the blind. Need a computer that you can afford that comes with a monitor, keyboard, speakers, and a CD-ROM? The computer will be a refurbished model with one gig of memory or more, have Windows XP with a demo copy of Windows Eyes, and the new screen reader NVDA1, along with a demo copy of ZoomText, and more. This offer is only good in the United States and Canada. Call Lee Mann at two one four three four zero six three two eight. During business hours, Central Time. Descriptive videos. Do you enjoy movies with audio description? Now you can enjoy more than two hundred movies with the descriptive soundtrack on them, available on VHS and DVD. Call Ken Mann at nine seven two five three zero two nine four nine for a print and CD copy of the movie list. Offer only good in the United States and Canada. 
accessible spiritual resources. Unity's Message of Hope Ministry offers free spiritual publications and resources to people who are blind or visually impaired. The Daily Word is a bi-monthly magazine which includes feature articles, inspirational poems, and a daily affirmation for the current 60 days. This publication is available in Braille and on audio CDs. Unity operates a lending library of its publications as well as Braille and audiobooks. Many of these resources are also available electronically in Braille-ready files for download to note-takers and digital book readers. To subscribe to the Daily Word or get a catalog of available library resources, call 1-866-421-3066. Email m-e-s-s-a-g-e hyphen o-f hyphen h-o-p-e at u-n-i-t-y o-n-l-i-n-e dot org or visit www.unity o-n-l-i-n-e dot org Discussions about the Unity publications and accessible library offerings are welcome via Facebook at www.facebook.com slash m-e-s-s-a-g-e-o-f-h-o-p-e Sharing Your Story Around the World The Macedonian Association of the Blind publishes two magazines and one radio program about people with disabilities. The association is seeking individuals who would like to share their story in a biographical article or interview. If you would like to submit story ideas or know of anyone who would be an interesting interview, contact Adriana via email at adrijana dot p-r-o-k-o-p-e-n-k-o at gmail.com. High-Tech Swap Shop For sale Portable Magnifier Works with desktop and laptop computers. Comes with CD and carrying case. Cable is attached to camera. It works with Windows 7 as well. Asking $150. Free. Digital recorder. Comes with CD, book, cable, and headphones. The magnifier and recorder come as a package. Contact Nancy at o-w-e-n-r-y-d-e-r at S-Y-M-P-A-T-I-C-O dot C-A or 319-217-1922 or 319-217-8385. Please send money orders in U.S. or Canadian funds. We will take care of shipping and handling. For sale. Pack Mate QX400 with QWERTY keyboard. Hardly used. Includes charging cord, original software, padded carrying case, wireless LAN compact flash card, asking $550 or best offer. Call Amy at 574-361-9897. For sale, Sony boombox with auxiliary output. Good sound, used only once. Asking $25. Will accept cash, check, or money order. Contact Tanya Smith at 734-430-2537 or write her at 1665 Perry Street, P-A-R-E-E, Newport, Michigan, 48166. For sale, 
Braille writers need repairs. One does jumbo braille, the other does regular braille. Asking one hundred dollars each. Talking tape measure, best offer. Victor Reader Stream, fifty dollars. Contact Robert at five one zero two two nine eight zero three five. For sale, Window Eyes version four point five, works well with Windows ninety five through XP. Package includes software and documentation on disk, and quick start guides on cassette, in large print, and braille. Asking one hundred dollars or best offer. Will ship free matter for the blind unless otherwise requested. Contact Michael Bayes at three five two two three eight two three zero nine, or email him at b a y u s m dot one at b e l l s o u t h dot net. For sale, Toshiba laptop with fifteen point six inch screen, integrated numeric keypad, five hundred gig hard drive, three gigs RAM, Windows XP Professional. Jaws and Zoom Text, asking eight hundred dollars. Desktop computer with one terabyte hard drive, four gigs RAM, Windows XP Home Edition, Jaws and Zoom Text, asking six hundred dollars. Contact Jose at eight one eight two two zero six two five six. For sale, SenseView portable electronic magnifier, handheld, like new, comes with adapter. Padded case and rechargeable batteries, contrast and color switching, freeze view, asking two hundred dollars. Optelec black and white CCTV, asking nine hundred dollars. Prices do not include shipping and handling costs. Contact h a l i m a dot a l i f a at l i v e dot com, or phone her at six one seven seven five zero. Three three four six. For sale, PackMate Omni BX four hundred with software and carrying cases, asking three thousand two hundred dollars. Braille Plus with disc and carrying case, asking six hundred twenty-five dollars. Trekker Breeze with microphone, case, and software, asking four hundred fifty dollars. Braille Light two thousand with case and manuals. Asking one hundred fifty dollars. Contact v i c k y u n d e r h i l l at s b c g l o b a l dot net. For sale, enhanced vision Acrobat reader with twenty-two inch HD TV, brand new, in box, used less than an hour. Asking one thousand dollars. Contact Joseph Axt via email. J O E A X T at c h a r t e r dot net, or phone him six seven eight eight nine seven three seven six nine. For sale, Braille Sense Plus B thirty two in good condition, comes with carrying case and charger, asking three thousand five hundred dollars or best offer. Unused copy of Window Eyes seven point five Professional with S M A. Asking five hundred dollars to make an offer or for any questions, please contact Steve Decker at b r a i l l e s l d at gmail dot com or six one two six five five 
For sale, PacMate Omni QX400 in mint condition. Includes carrying case, charger, mini USB cable, and a getting started CD done by Jonathan Mosen. Asking $400 plus $30 for shipping and insurance. Will accept best offer. Contact Kurt Ottman by email. K-A-O-T-T-M-A-N at cfl.rr.com or by phone 386-214-9165. For sale, PacMate Omni with 40-cell Braille display, QWERTY keyboard, charger, carrying case, Bluetooth card for GPS, GPS receiver, older version of Street Talk, manual on disk, cables, and miscellaneous Braille, disk, and print material. Recently serviced, in good working condition. Asking $2,500. Contact Deanna Noriega via email. D-N-O-R-I-E-G-A at S-I-L-C-O-L-U-M-B-I-A dot org for further details. For sale. Opticon model R1C with soft pack and charger. Asking $700. Opticon model R1D with soft pack and battery charger. Asking $750. Opticon model R2B with AC adapter, charging platform, and two batteries. Asking $900. Voice Sense. Asking $1,000. Power Braille 80 with parallel and serial cables. Asking $1,000. VersaPoint Braille Embosser. Asking $500. Contact Petra at 719-676-4491 or email l-l-a-m-a-p-e-t-s at gmail.com. For sale, KNFB Reader Mobile Kit still in its box. Includes Nokia N95 cell phone preloaded with latest version of Reader, various cables, AC adapter, KNFB Reader software CD, and all instructional materials, asking $1,200 or best offer. Choice of a brand new PacMate Omni QX420 for $2,000 or a barely used PacMate Omni BX420 still in its box for $1,900. Both units come with a 20-cell Braille display, carrying case and strap, quick start cards in Braille and print, quick start guide, companion CD, AC adapter, A to mini B USB cable, and user's documentation CD. Free shipping within the United States. Contact Kerry Joannis at 585-348-8389 or by email sincerenature80 at aol.com. For sale. BrailleNote M-Power 18 Keysoft version 7.5 with case, cables, and manual. Asking $1,200. VoiceNote QT version 7.5 with case, disk drive, cables, and manual. Asking $400. Perkins Jumbo Brailler with case. Asking $300. Braillen Speak with cables. Asking $200. Free. One copy, The Language of Medicine, Braille Textbook, 30 volumes. Contact Peggy Martinez, 
P E G M A R 1 at E A R T H L I N K dot net or by phone 206-588-2012. Can utilize free matter shipping for textbook in U.S. Shipping costs for other devices dependent on location of buyer. To give away. Older Xerox Kurzweil Personal Reader. KPR 7315 Model 30. With both flatbed and handheld scanners. Deck Talk Speech. Includes carrying case for CPU and instructional tapes. You pay shipping and it's yours. Call Tom at 307-754-3789. ACB Officers. President. Mitch Pomerantz. 1115 Cordova Street, number 402, Pasadena, California, 91106. First Vice President. Kim Charlson, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. Second Vice President, Brenda Dillon, 313 Overridge Cove, Hermitage, Tennessee, 37076. Secretary, Marlena Lieberg, 632 South 189th Street, Burien, Washington, 98148. Treasurer, Carla Rushevel, 148 Vernon Avenue, Louisville, Kentucky, 40206. Immediate Past President, Christopher Gray, 94 Ramona Avenue, San Francisco, California, 94103. ACB Board of Directors, Ray Campbell, Glen Ellen, Illinois. Burl Colley, Lacey, Washington. Janet Dickelman, St. Paul, Minnesota. Marsha Farrow, Somerville, Georgia. Michael Garrett, Missouri City, Texas. George Holliday, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Billie Jean Keith, Arlington, Virginia. Alan Peterson, Horace, North Dakota. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California. David Trott, Talladega, Alabama. Ex officio, Judy Jackson, Austin, Texas. Board of Publications. Paul Edwards, Chairman, Miami, Florida. Marcia Dresser, Reading, Massachusetts. Judy Jackson, Austin, Texas. Janine Stanley, Columbus, Ohio. Ken Stewart, Warwick, New York. Ex officios. Ron Milliman, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Bob Hache, Waltham, Massachusetts. End of side three.